0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: And if you are listening to this podcast, you are in fact listening to it through tiny little tunnels of delicious earwax.
0: That's true. These these sound uh, waves have to make their way. Through earwax. And we discount this stuff. But today we're going to talk about the merits of it. Uh, we're going to talk about the smell of it, yep. which I didn't realize was a thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I don't know that I'd ever sniffed earwax because I feel like you're really at your sniffing stage with bodily excretions at a much far younger age. And I don't remember encountering earwax as a child. I mean, that's more of your your, your parents' domain, right, to deal with whatever your earwax situation is or maybe the doctor but uh, but then once you reach the age where you are removing your own earwax, hopefully you're at a point where you're not going to smell it a lot. That's my stance on the whole if, issue. And
0: if you do, that's fine. This is not a place of judgment. Okay. <laughs> I will disclose not that I smell my like earwax, but that, that's one of those things that if I'm kind of thinking about something or I'm lost in my head, I will find that my finger is drifting up to my ear. Yeah. And I'll sometimes be like, "Yeah, I'm at work. I, I don't need to be exploring my ear canals right now."
1: Well, as we get older, we have to explore our ear canals more because all sorts of stuff goes wrong in there, right? I mean, you end up with like, hair growing for no reason. You end up with—I uh, mean, it has a reason, but not. But there's a limit. Come on, body, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I and understand. then the, then the earwax can get a little out of. Uh, out of control i think we've all been in that situation where you've you've been around uh an older individual maybe somebody you know or related to or maybe not and you glimpse inside that ear and it and you'll see something just horrific be it a big tuft of like rabbit fur growing out or the, uh, like a, an orb of earwax just sitting there like it's a, like it's a spaceship that's going to be launched out of the body and out into the void uh crude with with all sorts of little organisms from the person's head
0: well, which is kind of like what we're going to talk about today, this sort of time capsule that the ear can sometimes contain. And uh, according to Dr. Rick Tights, an emergency room doctor, he said, I have over the years seen live and dead bugs, broken off Q-tips, mm-hmm. pieces of chocolate, nuts and cookies, toy parts, and some unidentifiable objects. Yeah. So yes, sometimes things get stuck in there, and particularly when you're talking about toddlers intentionally stuck in there
1: yeah thankfully i have not experienced that firsthand yet but uh i mean have you
0: no it it was more about the nose
1: oh yeah well i'm experiencing the nose big time but uh yeah
0: that is good times by the way yeah
1: so far it's just finger up there most of the day but um but, but yeah the 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 ear canal and our sticking of things into it one of the stories that always comes to mind when i think about uh uh, Q-tips going in the ear or bugs going into the ear, which if you haven't experienced that, it can be pretty horrific because a bug gets in there and starts flapping its wings. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly loud. Um, John Hanning Speak, uh, one of the uh, uh, gentlemen who discovered the source of the Nile, along with uh, Captain Sir Richard Francis Burton, he was left tempor- temporarily deaf. Uh, after a beetle crawled into his ear and, tr- and he tried to remove it with a knife. Uh, mm-hmm. This was in 1856 mm-hmm. during an Eastern African expedition uh, to find uh, the African Great Lakes. So I always think about that one whenever I, because there was a, a rather horrific portrayal of it in the movie uh, The Mountains of the Moon, which was about speak and Burton.
0: Well, thank you, because this is high roach season in Georgia, where we live. <laughs> yeah. And they're, they're scattering themselves all over the place, all over the floors.
1: And they're after your canals? Yeah.
0: I mean, oh. it's a nice safe refuge for them, right?
1: I mean, until we have to stab them with something and, and, and deafen ourselves, or if you're going to actually do the correct thing, uh, use some sort of like alcohol or, or oil or some sort of water. Don't
0: or go to the doctor or go
1: to the doctor, but don't go don't grab a knife and start stabbing at the beetle in your head.
0: No, don't try to recreate the 1800s. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what exactly is earwax? This is kind of fascinating. It's a, it's actually a kind of sweat called cerumen and apocrine sweat glands add protein and fats to sweat. Okay. And this is a kind of modified form of these sweat glands found in the ear canal and its output is earwax.
1: Yeah. So this is, uh, oil and protein, but uh, about half of it is dead skin cells. Essentially, you can think of it this way. This is the way I'm thinking about it anyway. Earwax is a river of of dead skin cells flowing out of your ear. Uh-huh. Because if you did not have that outward flow, what would happen? You would just have a buildup of dead skin cells in your ear, right?
0: It's true. And it's good that you say it that way. It is a flow. In fact, the cells inside the ear canal are unique in the human body. They migrate. They migrate. And according to Professor Shaquille Saeed at London's Royal National Throat, Nose and Ear Hospital, you could put an ink dot on the eardrum and then watch it move over a few weeks, and it would be carried out by the movement of these cells. Huh. So that's, this is very intentional, this flow of amber earwax lava.
1: Stuff is dying in there. We have to get it out. We have to get it out of the ear canal, and so it follows the river of earwax.
0: Yeah, and the normal sort of movement of the jaw also helps it along in hmm. you know, eating and talking. That assists with the mu- uh, with the movement, but let's talk about the more interesting aspects of it, which are the protective qualities.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's uh, you know certainly it's moving the dead skin cells. It's but it's uh, it's helping to keep the canal clean overall. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's preventing it from itching.
0: Yeah, and it's lubricating it in that way. Yeah. So then it doesn't itch, and then it's kind of like a fly catcher for dirt and bacteria. Yeah, which is so cool. Because again, this stuff is maligned, right? You, mm-hmm. you, we get Q tips. Uh, we try to get it out of our ear. We're like, ah, oh, it's disgusting. But in fact, it is protecting us. And between 1,000 to 2,000 glands produce antimicrobial peptides. It also contains lysozyme, an antibacterial enzyme capable of destroying bacterial cell walls. So it's not just ushering stuff out and catching stuff, but it's also kind of quashing it at certain moments and making sure that bacteria uh, does not live in your body.
1: Yeah, because this is just another open doorway into the head. And, and therefore, it I mean, it makes sense that it should have certain protections in place. Indeed. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have a little more about the science of earwax, what our earwax can tell us about ourselves and others. Hey, We're back um, talking about earwax. Uh, here's a little uh, tidbit that I, I wasn't aware of until uh, I was uh, looking around for odd bits on earwax. Mm-hmm. And uh, found out that in medieval times, earwax was actually used as a pigment component in the illumination of manuscripts, which... Oh instantly made me think of various uh, fictions where you'll encounter, f- and, and of course, also occasionally real-life examples of, say, a book that's bound in human skin or a book that's written in human blood. Mm-hmm. But I've never seen a, you know, a horror movie or a horror story where there's some sort of mysterious volume that's written in human earwax.
0: So is it the preservative qualities of the fats in it?
1: I guess that the might be oils? part of it. I mean, there's not a whole lot of color to it. Uh, yeah. I mean, we would... As we'll discuss, we definitely would be talking about Western earwax here, so we'd be talking about oh, more yeah. of a, oh, you know, that that, that waxy yellow tint, but uh, oh, or and and it's going to get a little darker in age. So I could see it possibly playing into into coloration as well, or maybe you're just sitting there in the scriptorium all day, uh, <laughs> you're illuminating <laughs> manuscripts, and uh, occasionally uh, your brush is going to go into the ear canal. Uh
0: huh.
1: You know, it's, it's going to go, it's going to go in the nodes, it's going to go a lot of places. And it's going to make its way into the final version of the uh, manuscript.
0: And then you have your Oprah aha moment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of the perfect segue into what we're about to talk about. And you had already mentioned that Western uh, earwax is far different than someone from, say, East Asia. Yes. And this was borne out by scientists at the Monell Institute. And they were inspired to see if ethnic groups have different earwax odors after they learned that the same gene controls both the person's underarm odor and the type of earwax that they make. So that's the place they were coming from. Does the earwax smell differently? They measured the concentration of 12 volatile organic compounds found in earwax in groups of East Asian and white men. And what they found is that if you are East Asian or Native American, it's likely to be dry and white and kind of flaky. And, but... If you would describe yourself as white or black, your earwax would probably be yellow and sticky and smelly.
1: Yeah, my wife and I actually ran into a little of this when we brought our child in uh, to see the uh, pediatrician uh, because uh, he is is racially uh, Han Chinese and Mm -hmm. we are... uh, Caucasian and he initially had uh, uh, a certain amount of, uh, of wax buildup in his ears that uh, had to be uh, taken care of but uh, the, the pediatrician had some difficulty figuring out exactly what was going on because mm-hmm. I don't think she was as exposed as much to uh, to the, this uh, this East Asian uh, variant of earwax oh. which is uh, again flakier drier and uh, and therefore if you're if you're looking into an ear and you're expecting to see uh, Western earwax, you're going to be a little Thrown for a curve if the the material itself has a, has a different uh, a different consistency.
0: See, okay, and that's that's one of those things that you just don't know until you get in the ear canal, right? Right. So, did she smell it?
1: I don't think she smelled it. I, I haven't smelled it either, um, you know. But uh, but it would uh, it would apparently have less of an odor as yes. would uh, as would his sweat, which I'm all for anything to keep this child less stinky. <laughs> bring
0: it on. Yeah. And considering, again, that this is a variant of the um, apocrine sweat gland, and we know the apocrine sweat gland produces some really funky stuff. Yes. So it's not too crazy that your earwax might smell. But you're probably still wondering, like, why are those scientists sniffing earwax? Why do they think that's so important? Well, it turns out that they also, that the Institute, Monell Institute, studies a rare genetic disorder called maple syrup urine disease which can be easily diagnosed through the scent of earwax compounds. And swabbing someone's ears is much simpler and cheaper than doing genetic testing. And when I when we talk about this maple syrup urine disease, it really literally your your sweat and your earwax smells like maple syrup. Because
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's a metabolism disorder and it's passed down through families in which the body can't break down certain parts of proteins. And it might seem like, oh that's lovely. You just smell like maple syrup all the time but in fact it's it's uh it can be really dangerous the disease it can cause Brain damage coma and cognitive disabilities
1: so all of this makes sense right that that earwax would provide some insight into what's going on genetically because again it's composed of dead skin cells it's uh, uh it it contains the output of uh of uh, of up to 2000 uh, uh different glands uh, mm-hmm. working at once so it's not just some stupid byproduct of the human body it's a very Uh, a very telling byproduct of the human body. Yeah,
0: and the hope is that by examining this earwax, we can begin to tell more and more about someone's health and wellness. Um, But because we're talking about these, again, portable time capsules telling us something about the body, and there's nothing more indicative of this ability than whales in their gigantic earplugs of earwax.
1: Yeah, and it really is like an earplug composed of their own earwax that they accumulate throughout their entire life. Uh, then they eventually reach a size of, uh, what, like 24 centimeters in length?
0: Yeah, they're huge. Yeah. And unlike humans, you know, which we shed our earwax and our, our, our dead skin cells, um, these filter-feeding whales do retain it their entire lives. And so what happens is that it's recording life events similarly to the rings of a tree.
1: And in fact, they, they used to, they've known for a while that, it, that this is a good way to tell how old a whale was just see how how big the earplug is. But now yeah, we can tell even more.
0: Exactly, because the wax is laid down in light and dark bands with each band correlating roughly to a six-month period. So all of that can be examined, and you can figure out what's going on. Sasha Usenko, an environmental scientist at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, extracted an earplug from a blue whale. It was killed in a collision with a ship off the coast of uh, Santa Barbara in California. And that... Plug of earwax was a nice, big, healthy, twenty four point five centimeters long. What they found is that this twelve year old male had come into contact with sixteen different pollutants, like pesticides and flame retardants.
1: Wow! So you can look at this thing, which is again like a like a core sample of the different uh, sedentary yeah. layers in this uh, in this creature's life. It's a timeline, a waxy timeline of its life. You can see. Where has it uh, come into contact with pollutants? You can see where has it had uh, a lot of stress. Where can you Mm -hmm. see the the stress hormones uh, in the wax sample?
0: Yeah, you can even see the testosterone surge indicating when it was maturing. And then as you say, yeah, these cortisol levels going up, doubling in some cases. In fact, one of the, the biggest peaks in stress hormone cortisol that they saw was Right after the whale had reached sexual maturity, about 10 years old, suggesting that there was stress from sexual competition.
1: You can even see the amount of pollutants and hormones transferred to the whale from its mother yeah. while it was uh, while it was inside her.
0: And apparently the majority of those contaminants, of those, um, those bits of chemical pollutants, were transferred during that time.
1: Huh. So this is, of course, all very useful information in uh, studying the blue whale, in uh, trying to figure out how we can keep the population of blue whales from shrinking uh, even further. It's already far smaller than it needs to be.
0: Yeah, and even the effects of pollution, because mm-hmm. although flame retardant has been banned for 50 years, it's apparently still out there,
1: uh. the particles
0: of it, in the ocean. So uh, we've talked about this before, the ocean being this great, big, unexplored area for us. We don't have a great understanding of the the breadth and depth of it and how our environment impacts it. And this is just one other indication of of how stuff that we just use on a regular basis really has a long-term impact.
1: Indeed. I mean, the, the shadow cast by uh, any of these uh, these these pollutants is, is far greater than we, we typically realize.
0: Indeed. All right. But back to the, the earwax in humans. Yes. I think we should probably end this podcast by saying, obviously... Don't pick up that Q-tip as much as you want to, and jam it into your ear canal. And please, please, do not get an ear cone and engage in what's called ear candling, which yeah. we've talked about at length.
1: Yeah, have you done, you've done it before? right? I've done it yeah.
0: before, and there's you know you know there's something wrong when you have your head tipped over and you have something on fire in your ear. You yeah. know that that shouldn't be going on.
1: Yeah, and the the flame on these things climbs pretty high. It's it's not really. I mean, it's. To be honest, the sensation is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I won't, I won't say that I hated having my ear candled, but uh, <laughs> uh, but it's it, it also felt very dangerous. Like we, we're going to catch the house on fire at any given moment doing this, and ultimately it doesn't really do any good. In fact, it can have uh, it, can, it can actually harm you. The FDA warns that not only can ear candles lead to obviously burns, uh, they can also block the ear canal or perforate the, the eardrum. So there's really no reason to do it.
0: You don't want to explain that in the ER situation, right?
1: Yeah, so I decided to candle my ear hole, and they're like, "All right, go get in that line."
0: I just got ear candled. Yeah, yeah.
1: But the Q-tip, of course, that's still a cautionary thing. I mean, the the package says don't stick it in your ear, which leads to the question: what are they? What, what are we supposed to be using them for?
0: I always think just the the outside of the ear, just the, yeah. the little maze around the actual ear canal. Sure.
1: Okay, that's valid. That's a good place to use it. Yeah. You know, I've I've heard of individuals who have uh, traveled to other countries. I think this particular friend of a friend uh, went to Eastern Europe, and they went to the store. They were staying there for an extended period of time. No Q-tips. So he was like, well, what am I going to do? How am I going to clean my ears? So he ended up just getting pieces of tissue and then, uh, you know, twisting it up and then trying to clean his ears that way. Mm-hmm. That, doing that, he ended up getting tissue caught in his ear, stuck yeah. in his ear canal and then had to go to the doctor for that. So that raises the question, well, if we live in a world without Q-tips, then we'd still stick things in our ears and we'd still have to go to the emergency room. I don't know.
0: I feel like the ER there was would probably be like another American tried to DIY a Q-tip. <laughs> That's my Eastern European. That's
1: accent. good. That's yeah. good. I was buying it. Yeah. Um, and if you need a little something else to encourage you not to go digging around with the Q-tip, I recommend uh, seeking out the uh, uh, scene in uh, the most recent season. Uh, I think it is of Girls. <gasps> oh yeah. Yeah, where she um, she ends up. Going a little too deep with the Q-tip, and then has to do the other ear to cancel it out.
0: Well, she has obsessive compulsive disorder, yes. which is why she's jamming it into her ear in the first place. Um, but like a lot, yeah. a lot
1: of a lot of that show is painful to watch. But that scene in particular was was painful on a very uh, f- physical level because you're just going, ah, oh, don't do that to your ears yeah Hannah.
0: yeah and if you really need to do that you feel like you've got an earwax problem you got to go see the doctor exactly. right and yep. in fact there's a great little video that i sent you and i said "green" meaning awful Ugh. which shows a professional extraction of a giant chunk of earwax, and it looks like when they're taking it out it looks like a, a croissant that's been stuffed into someone's ear
1: Ugh. can you imagine i can imagine and well, then yes. i can picture it because you made me watch the video. Are, are we going to turn that video into a Science on the Web episode? I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. We'll Must be done.
1: look forward to that, uh, everyone. In the meantime, uh, and certainly if you want to go ahead and see if that video has published yet, and it may have, who knows what the timeline is on this sort of thing, uh, go to stufftoblowyourmind.com. Uh, that is where you will find all the podcast episodes. That's where you'll find links out to our various social media accounts. You'll find our blog posts, uh, videos, everything you could want to know about Julie and myself. And, uh, you know, we'd like to hear from you on this earwax situation.
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a safe place. You can send us your thoughts on it. You can let us know what the consistency and the smell is, if you happen to know that. Any odd earwax stories, we're game for them. And you can do that by sending an email to blowthemind@howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.